Hey everyone, welcome to Superwomen. Today's guest is Heather Chavon. She is an author, a podcaster. Her book is called Dying to Be a Good Mother. And in this conversation, we really go deep on how we as moms tend to sacrifice all for our own health and sanity and how there were three words that changed her life and led her to be the person she is today and also the leader she is today. So take a listen. Welcome to the podcast, Heather. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I am so excited about this conversation. Thank you, Rebecca. So let's just get right to the heart of the matter of your book, which I love the title, Dying to Be a Mother. Mm. And I would love to hear a little bit about the three words that changed your life. (laughs) I'm like, what? What were those three words? You have cancer. (laughs) Yes, you have cancer. I'm like, there's a lot of words that we hear that change our lives, but you have cancer. Yeah, that was, it was almost eight years ago. I was diagnosed with a stage four cancer, a sporadic Burkitt's lymphoma, and um, I have three boys. And at the time, my youngest was a year old. I was still breastfeeding. I was actually in the I wouldn't say early stages. I was a few years in of taking my business serious. And I, like six months before, a few months before um, my diagnosis, I officially signed the paperwork to leave my corporate job as a social worker. And so I was full in on entrepreneurship and motherhood and everything. And I knew something was up. Um, My body was just not, I was getting those little, you know, those little, that intuition of like, something's up, something's up. And then all the stories about like, I don't have time. I don't have time for this. I can't go to the doctors. And I just kept pushing myself off at the last, like the last item on my to-do list. And then of course, just pushing it off and avoiding it. And when I went to the doctor and it slowly, slowly, slowly started to um, just become very apparent to me that my body was really trying to get my, my attention and it was the game changer. I remember when I walked into the hospital and when the doctor, we were in, actually went to emergency room. The first night I went in, um, I kind of laughed because in hindsight, I can't believe how much I neglected my own needs. But the first night I went to emerge because my abdomen was swollen and I was just starting to get night sweats. And my husband's like, you have to go, Heather. And I left. I left because I walked in and I told myself, uh, I don't deserve to be in this room. I'm not sick enough. And I went back the next night. My husband actually drove me and he said, we're not leaving the hospital until you see a doctor. And that night through a CT of my abdomen and routine blood work, on the spot, they told me I had cancer and I knew, I knew I had cancer. So I would love for you to talk me through that moment when you intuitively knew that you had something. I think when people probably hear the words cancer, that's scary enough, but then to hear yeah. that you had stage four, which from my layman's knowledge is usually like, okay, you know, begin your will. Mm-hmm. What went through your head there? Yeah. I remember hearing the doctor say, you have cancer. And immediately 
my whole body um, was kind of like a knowing. And I knew that at that time I was running away from something. It was like I was running away from those words. I don't know why I talk about it in the book where a few months before I actually said to my husband, what if I had cancer? And I don't know why I would say that. I was young. I was 27 years old, mother of three. I have no idea why I would even think that. And I just remember walking out of the hospital at this point, like I said, I didn't really know it was stage four. I just knew, you know, we had to go down the testing and all of that. But I remember walking out of the hospital that night and it was raining. Um, it was a few days before Christmas. Um, and so where I live, it should have been snowing. It was just a very weird night and the whole world just kind of slowed down. And I remember looking up in the sky and just saying, okay, you finally have my attention. I will listen. And I really didn't, you know, know what or who, I mean, my own relationship with God, universe source, something bigger than me was ever evolving. And I just stopped and slowed down and just like left foot, right foot, left foot. And so there was even, this is ridiculous to say, Rebecca, but there was a point where I thought, okay, I'm young. It's probably stage one. Like I got this. And then once they told me that it was in my um, spinal fluid and that I was stage four, I was like, I have to pay attention. Like, I can't keep brushing this off. Um, And that was a full halt, a full, like, clean slate, like, stop what you're doing, reassess how you want to feel in your life and build it from the ground up. So what did that look like? Because obviously there's the immediate okay, I got to fix my body. And you said, and I'm going to not say your quote exactly, but you know, you saw that Western medicine is something that is like when you're in a health crisis, not necessarily preventative. And we have to take health in our own hands, which I love because I think people think that Western medicine is the end all be all. Mm -hmm. So what were those first like few weeks like, or how did you say, okay, I have to stop, but I also got to like, make sure I, I don't die and cure, you know, get my cancer cured. So how did you approach that? So I actually had a lot of resistance to Western medicine. So before my diagnosis, I was in this online space. I left, like I said, I left my corporate job as a social worker. I was really jumping into a coaching role. And, you know, the whole wellness world itself, I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but it's like the good and the bad and, you know, us versus them. And I was like, but you don't, you actually don't have the privilege in this moment, Heather, to make that decision because you've neglected yourself so bad where you are in a crisis state. And so I had to completely surrender and trust that the healthcare professionals around me when I was in that moment knew what they were doing and could help me. But there was also this part of me that was like, and what are you going to do about it? And I remember after I went through some traditional treatment, my oncologist said to me, like, you're good, you're done, you know, you're in remission. And I got really angry, like so angry. It actually makes me really emotional to think about it um, because I know there's so many people who didn't have the opportunity that I had. And I just looked at her and I was like, that's it. Like, you're just throwing me out the door. Like, what do I do? I feel like I'm a hundred year old woman, like trapped, like, what do I do? How do I gain my strength back? And I had so much 
fear inside of me. And so I went to a functional medicine doctor and just started to learn about the body, learn about um, recovery, learn about, you know, how I even got myself in that position. And like today, I feel so far removed from that version of me and realizing that today I'm healthier than I've ever been in my entire life. So my focus shifted from how much can I get done today or who needs me today or, you know, like shoving every second that I had with being productive and I'm using air quotes to how good can I feel? And every day now, my focus is how good can I feel? How, how much extra can I have? Whether it's time, whether it's energy, whether it's money, wealth, because then I can give. Like most women, I've never met a woman who is not impact driven, who doesn't love to nurture other people. But most of the women that I meet are empty. They're either mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and that's where I was. And so I had to learn to fill myself up in every area of my life. And so my my focus shifted, my intention, my value shifted. And I noticed that as I started to feel better in certain areas of my life or have more than I've ever had in my entire life, that was terrifying because that's an overcoming, right? You're breaking those generational patterns. You're overcoming, you know, certain things in, um, in yourself and your family judgment comes back and it, it, it's, you know, it's always a challenge to face your deepest fears and your subconscious beliefs around who you need to be in the world. Um, but it was a complete, like, instead of turning left, I turned right. And I just, I just focused on how I wanted to feel. Lately, and it was someone that asked me a question on a podcast. It was, you know, are you building a successful life or a satisfied life? And I was like, mm. oh shit. Yeah. I've just been, you know, head down focused on a successful life. And success has certain meanings and metrics to many people, but a lot of it is, you know, uh, being able to afford a certain lifestyle and being able to go on the trips you want to go. And I was like, hold on, what would make me satisfied? And that doesn't have anything. Yes, money can play a role in that, but it doesn't have anything to do necessarily with just money. It's it's health choices. It's uh, how you spend your time and and your non working hours. And so I've really been on that journey myself. But then you hear people that are like, "Well, I got to provide for my family. I got to work in this job that I hate because I need money to put food on the table. How the hell do I live that life?" Yeah. And I'm wondering if you have any advice for people who you know aren't their own bosses. Or, or how you've seen people be able to think about how they want to view things differently and, and just stop for a minute and go, okay, I need to focus on my health, but it's hard because I'm a single mom who works 12 hour days to put food on the mm -hmm. table, you know? Yeah. And I think we've been saying that narrative for a really, really long time. Um, I was 18 when I became a mother. I was single for the first few years of uh, my son's life. I was chronic, like, I mean, I got every um, bursary you could possibly think of when I put myself through post-secondary education. And I remember showing up to class with like baby vomit in my hair. And my belief and the narrative that I told myself at that time was a good mother, right? Dying to be a good mother was sacrifice. 
yeah. and give, 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 give. And then I just remember inside going like, not this, not this, not this. And so that was the narrative. And I was getting pats on the back, but that doesn't feel good. That doesn't feel good. And if we are going to change what success, the definition of success, because culturally it is external, right? What can I afford? What can I do? What can I give? Like, how can I climb this ladder? But like, you're not a robot. You are not a robot. You have to ask yourself, does this feel good? Does this feel successful? Like, is, am I living my definition of success? I'm like, yeah, I can have all those things, but why? Right? So when I can feel fully alive and abundant, and it's not about time, it's not about having more time or more energy. So I'll give you an example. I'm recording this in a hotel room. I'm in Toronto for a few days. And, you know, the old me, this could be very stressful, right? Eating out, doing all these things. It's just a mindset shift of I have to eat. So I'm going to eat food that's in alignment with how I want to feel. And I could still buy that bag of chips, but I don't need to binge on it. I can fuel myself. I can create space to do that. If you're working 12 hours a day, you still need to eat. Just being mindful of what you're doing. What are you doing for the 10 minutes after you get up? Are you looking at your phone right away? Or are you taking a few deep inhales and exhales? When you're having a conversation with somebody, are you adding you know, drama to your life? Or are you saying, I want to leave this person better than how I found them? And so you can be in any situation that you are in. It's not about you know zero to 60 and going, you have to do this to be successful. You say, who do I want to be and how do I want to feel? And what can I do today to feel that way? Something as simple as taking the stairs instead of the elevator. Something as simple as smiling at someone. If you have the opportunity, maybe you have to do it with your eye. You have to smile with your eyes or something these days, but just being, hold the door for somebody, being kind. But we have to start realizing that we're not robots. We're not robots. And there's a process I talk about in the book. There's something that I really started practicing myself, which was, I've called it um, energetic time management. And essentially it's reverse engineering how you want to feel. And when I was diagnosed, Danielle Laporte came out with her book, Desire Map. I don't know if you're familiar with her her work. No. The whole concept, I know she didn't invent this, but it's essentially manifesting, abundance, all of that. She's like, it's not the thing that you want, it's how you want to feel. So if you say to yourself, I want more money, I want more money, I want more money. Well, what is that going to give you? Freedom. Awesome. Um, abundance. You know, you feel like you're going to get a better night's sleep. Then you start reverse engineering how you want to feel now. So if you feel like you don't have enough, how can you start creating space in your life for that? So another example is people are like, I need more space. I need a bigger house. Okay. It's the space that you crave. That's the feeling. How today or tomorrow can you um, intentionally create time for space? So it might be sitting in the car for five minutes. It might be wearing headphones and locking yourself in the bathroom if you have to and just, you know, listening to some type of meditative music. It might be putting your phone away. How can you start to create those feelings that you desire? And then slowly, 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 you start to feel your energy shift. 
And when your energy shifts, things in your life shift because your perception shifts. You know, I love that you say that. I I talk a lot about how I'm still analog. Every time I have a to-do list, I write it down and I also include all the personal stuff. And then I want, you know, when I write it down, it's my first step and like, okay, I need to either make space or or do this thing. And then it's like, okay, good. Now Mm -hmm. my next step is, again, I'm, I'm sort of type A, like adding it to my calendar or, you know, pushing it there. So I love that, that you're telling people to take that time. It might not happen overnight. It might not be as much as you wanted. You're not going to get that new house right away with the bigger space, but where can you find it within your life now? Which I think is so positive because so many people are just like, oh, I can't have the space. Well, I might as well give up. Yeah. And something that you just said there is like, I'm very much the same. I love the type A. I love the list. I mean, so many people who see traditional success, again, using air quotes, um, we get shit done, right? We have those lists, but I put myself on the calendar first to, to show how unrealistic my expectations are for myself. Like, did you eat today? Did you even create space to like go to the washroom? Are your basic human needs being met? Well, no wonder why you feel like shit, right? No wonder why. Like, look at it. Here's the data. Here's evidence. And so again, it's a practice and it's almost like a yoga practice or any other practice. It's challenging. Like this is not I get so triggered by we can do hard things. I'm like, yes, things are hard, but <laughs> they're emotionally uncomfortable, right? Yeah. yeah. It's it, we can do emotionally uncomfortable things. So if we're able to do those things, hold that space for ourselves, even if it's two minutes at the beginning, and then it's three, and then it's four, eventually you can hold an hour for yourself and the guilt doesn't take over. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's dive into the book. You called it dying to be a good mother for a reason. I'm assuming it was the the cancer diagnosis. But what do you talk about in the book? And and again, how can any other, you know, points from the book where you can help people begin to take those first steps and know that it's going to be hard, know it's going to be uncomfortable. I think we are just so marketed to that everything should be easy and you can have it all and everything's perfect and there's such a thing as balance. And then you're like, excuse me, what? Who, who has yeah. that? Yeah. I think it's funny that we are marketed that way of like quick fix, easy. And then we're also marketed the opposite, which is this hustle culture, right? Yeah. It's like, if you want something, it needs you need to be in a lot of pain and it needs to be really hard. So then you have this like, oh, well, this is difficult. I'm not going to try because I'm afraid or whatever it is. So I'm like, let's meet in the middle. Let's get emotionally uncomfortable. Let's chronically push, push, push the envelope to get uncomfortable, but let's do it with things that are life enhancing. So yes, the book is called Dying to Be a Good Mother. And I do talk about my cancer journey, but it's not a book about my cancer journey. It's about how you know, I had to get to my bottom 
to realize that way before I was diagnosed, I was dying. I was neglecting my physical needs. I was neglecting my emotional needs. I was neglecting my, my dreams and desires. And a huge part of what I talk about in the book, which is my first love, which is um, helping parents really understand their children's behavior, was exactly what connected me to the dying part. It was like, the thing my children need from me is me being alive and feeling alive. So in the book, I share my story with you, but I also don't want you to feel like you know, you're behind if you don't implement. It's a prescriptive memoir. There are some tips and strategies and next steps, but I just want you to know that it's normal to be where you are, but there is another way to be in the world. What would you say if someone only has a couple minutes a day and is just beginning on this, all right, I got to start caring for me. What would you say one of your top chapters would be in order to say, okay, enough is enough. I have to, I have to be alive because mm-hmm. if I'm not alive, um, and, and I think I want to touch on, there's different levels of livingness. There's getting by, there's like, I guess I'll put up with this. There's maybe I'll pursue this someday. Like you could almost have a, have a chart of like the different levels of getting by, you know? Yeah, I actually, I don't know if that's in the book, but I talk about it um, in my programs a lot. There's this little chart that I made. It's like survival mode. And then you go to the state of momentum and then the state of thrival and then beyond thrival where you're like, I got this. Um, And you feel like you're in a state of abundance and we can go up and down the scale all the time. Like every day you could be like, this happened and I came down a few notches. Um, But the point is to sustain this like life force momentum. The first half of the book is a lot of storytelling. The second half is more integration. The ETM, the energetic time management, which I believe is around chapter 14, is really about the step-by-step. It's a six-step process. So when people are like, this is great, but how do I implement it in my life? I am a strategic thinker, but I also am a visionary. So I can ride that line very well of like, we need strategy and we need to to think and feel and be creative and flexible. So yeah, there's six steps. That's a really good chapter, the energetic time management chapter to kind of go line by line and just start implementing. But if someone today is like, well, what do I do right now? Like, I don't even want to read the book. What do I do right now? I'm like, start walking and start drinking water and make it a priority and just start with those little micro habits. I love that. So if, if you could describe today your approach as a mother and, and managing your time, how do you, like, what is a typical, what you used to do and then how you've changed it now look like? So probably 50 times a day now, I'm asking myself, how do you feel? And how far are you away from how you want to feel? So on those busy days, those busy weeks, the busy months, if I feel myself getting away from my like my core and my center, I'm always just trying to bring myself back like on a daily basis. But I do understand that life happens, things happen, the world happens, and it's okay if you're not in alignment, but realize um, don't let that season become your decade. When I'm parenting, parenting is a whole other can of worms, and I talk a lot about this, is you know, my children's emotions are not necessarily my responsibility to manage, 
but rather hold space and listen. We are living in a generation that most of us did not have the opportunity to gain emotional intelligence skills. And so now we're learning this as an adult and we're swinging the pendulum in parenthood thinking, oh my gosh, my child's angry. I need to fix this. My child's hurting. I need to fix this. And you can do so much more by just holding space and say, I see you. It's you're going to be okay. And I still love you. Holding space for your kids when they're having those tantrums in the grocery store and you are incredibly embarrassed. Holding space for a teenager that is trying to figure out who they are in the world um, and realizing that that's exactly what we have to do for ourselves if we want to raise emotionally intelligent children. So every day, every time one of my boys literally has another, like, I just got used to this like developmental stage that you're in. And now you're in the next one. Um, I'm always being reminded of the inner work and growth that I still need to do myself. Oh man. Uh, well, yes, because COVID tested me as a mother and patients in all forms. Yeah. It was like pre COVID. I was like, I want four kids. And then COVID hit and I was like, I want no kids. So uh, it was a lot. And I think it's, it's interesting to stop for a second. Sometimes I stop myself and I go, okay, they're having an emotional reaction to, to whatever it is. It's their next developmental step. I don't have to react to that. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't have to add to their own tornado that they're experiencing as they're getting used to a new thing. How can I be supportive? And I think the moments where I do take the minute to stop, you know, it actually smooths over quite quickly versus me getting all worked up and freaked out too. Cause I, I, I notice, and I don't know how you feel like my kids can feel energetically with me when I'm stressed or scared or whatever. And then yeah. they react, you know, like I have to leave them right now for a bunch of travel and every night they cry to me about it. But suddenly when I'm gone and I'm, and I'm not there, my husband's like, they're fine. They're actually fine. Like, cool. Okay, great. So I'm the one that messes them up every time. <laughs> so And, and, I think our, I mean, one, knowing that our children feel safe enough to express emotion around us, like they're not adults, right? We're, we're holding it in. We're shoving it. We're like, that's not professional. I can't express how I feel right now. And knowing that they're having that reaction because they love you and they have that connection to you is such a beautiful thing. But yeah, we're like, it's okay to be sad. It's okay that I'm leaving and look you know, I'm, I'm still feeding that part of me and there is no, that's what, yeah, that word balance. It's like, you can't be everything. It's like, well, if I'm attending to my needs, is this something that I want to do? And maybe I love parts of it. Maybe I don't love parts of it, but feeding your soul while showing your kids, like, you know, mom did some cool shit and you can too, and not becoming angry and resentful at your children because we're like, well, you know, you're going to be upset if I go. It's like, yeah, we, we are, you know, it, we're all in relationship together and we have to realize that we matter too. They matter. They can express their emotions, right? I remember after I was diagnosed, um, I felt like I screwed up my kids, like hardcore. And then I realized, you know what? This is part of their human experience and we're all imperfect and we all have trauma in some capacity And if I overcompensate for the rest of their childhood, trying to take this away, that's going to do more damage than just saying, yes, that sucked. And let's just feel our feelings together. Totally. 
So what would you say, and I like to ask this, um, it's my last two questions, but I feel like I could talk to you for another couple of hours. Um, what would you say, was there any other piece of advice that you would want to pass on to women, mothers, um, either that you learned or that uh, someone gave to you that you were like, aha, this is a good one. I'm passing it on. The interesting part is I have found that a lot of people didn't give me advice that made me feel good as a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because I even talk about it in the book. Some of the first advice I received as a mother was, and now I had to buy the cheap shampoo. And I did not understand why discounting what I wanted to invest in um, was, was actually taking away from my children. So I always just like to say, the better you feel, the bigger impact you're going to make. And also, after writing the book, I was like, damn it, this is patriarchy. There's so much going on here. This is so much bigger than me having to be diagnosed with cancer to take care of myself. And so understanding that some of our resistance, it's okay if it's really challenging for you. This goes beyond um, just self-care. This is you know, social constructs that have been set up for us to not succeed. Um, and now I just have a fire lit in me that the better I become, that is really the impact. That's how we're going to change the world and women are going to do that. So I'm just like, you know what? I am here to be a shining bright light, to be the role model, to trigger or inspire people to come along with me. And I'm not here to change anybody's beliefs until they're ready to do that themselves. So I just highly encourage anyone listening to this to just know that so badly we want to control. We want to control our children's behavior, our partners, our friends, everybody, our employees, whoever it is. Just know that become, they're watching you and you are inspiring them just by doing. I love it. That is incredible. I want to end on that note, but I have one last question. What would we be surprised to know about you? It can be a habit, a quirk, an interest, something that's like, you know, people probably don't think that I am scared of zombies, but I actually am. Oh, I got lots of these. Um, (laughs) I'm wildly introverted, um, like extremely sensitive. If you meet me in person in large crowds, unless I'm on stage or leading, I'm very quiet. And I have a secret fear of um, mispronouncing people's names. Oh, that's the worst. Yes. Yes. I just forget people's names. And then I'm just like, I'm just not going to refer to you because I don't remember the name you told me one minute ago, even though, right? Oh, it's the worst. Well, thank you so much. Where can people buy your book, support you, continue to learn from you? Yeah. Dying to be a good mother can be um, purchased anywhere books are sold online. It's also on audibles as well. If you're an audiobook listener, um, I am very active on my podcast. Mom is in control and I always love connections. So send me a DM on Instagram at Heather Chauvin. Awesome. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you, Rebecca. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithm. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff, 
at Artem Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again, and you will hear from me next week.